Welcome to Canoe Creek Christian Church's podcast. Our mission is to help others connect with Christ, grow together, and go share Jesus with their world. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Drive. Our services are Sunday morning at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. You can also find our services online through Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening today. It seems like there's always, whether it's a, something that happens in a service, on a stage, or in the tech booth, or welcome team, or I get to see something over in children's ministry, or student ministry, or anywhere, where it just kind of catches my attention on that day or that moment, and I'm just reminded of how blessed I am to be a part of an awesome church that is blessed with so many people who serve and have amazing talents. You know, when, when Tracy was singing that song this morning, and from the run-through until this second service, it just it captured me and reminded me of that and encouraged me of that. And just want to invite you to be reminded that you could be a part of that vision of using your talent to serve here at the church consistently or within the culture. We're always trying to create a culture of people who are for their community as God is for people in our community as well. Uh, one of the other things that we're doing is just try and help be a reminder of that culture is you'll see these cards. They're on the back table as you go out. On one side they say, how can I serve? On the other side it says, how can we help? And you can scan it with your phone and it'll link you to a form where you can just go in there and say, hey, I, I can strip wax floors, I'm great at singing, I love children, or I can do this or whatever, and uh, get to be a part of the vision of Canoe Creek. Or maybe that you have some sort of need where we can help you out, whether it's cleaning out your gutters, mowing your lawn, uh, babysitting a night or two or something, I mean any, whatever it may be, um, we'd love for these to be a, a tool for you as well as take you know four or five of them. You may have a neighbor down the road that you want to give one to. This is another part of just trying to press into our culture of being for our community and reminding our church about that as well. And uh, this morning as we jump into this message, uh, Mark Moore kind of helps give us a picture of what we're doing. We've, we're looking at Core 52 throughout the year. Most of our groups are doing this together. This week is week seven. If you want to know more about that, there's a Core 52 and a banner in the back. There's books in the back. You can get a part of that, be a part of that if you want. But what we said we'd do is we'd take a few times throughout the year and we would just do a Core 52 Sunday. This is one of those Sundays, week seven. And what I want to do anytime we have one of these Sundays is just remind people of what we're doing, why we're doing it, read the core verse together. Also let you know um, there's a, a Tuesday night women's Core 52 group starting up. Maybe you didn't know about that. Jump on the app. Go to the groups. You can find out all the details about it. Contact the leaders of it and get involved in it as well. Uh, but the core verse for this week is from 2 Samuel, which some of you are like, I didn't even know there's a book called Samuel in the Bible. There is, and it's the second one, so guess what? There's two of them. Um, but that's the whole reason why we're doing Core 52, you know, is to help us understand, more importantly, to help us see how God has put his fingerprint in his word from Genesis to Revelation. And he's given us a clear vision of his son, Jesus Christ, and the pinnacle moment of his death, burial, and resurrection for all time. Throughout all of his writing and throughout all of history, we see this, and throughout all of creation. So if you would, jump with me in 2 Samuel. Chapter 7 is where we're going to read our core verse for the day. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, take one off the rack in front of you. You're welcome to use it. In fact, you're welcome to take it. Somebody came up to me. They feel like they always got to ask permission. They're holding one of those Bibles, and they're like, can I really take this? And I'm like, yes, I said you could take it. So keep it if you don't have a Bible and you want one. Uh, we'll, we've got more, and we'll stock the, the, the 
seat backs with more. But, uh, or if you follow along on your phone in the Bible app, you can look at our event information in there. We've got our sermon notes in there as well. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. This is the prophet Nathan speaking to David on behalf of God. This is what we read. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to secede you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is 2 Samuel and Nathan, a prophet of God who speaks for God in their time, is talking to David about how a future son way down the line is going to come along and he's going to be a king and his kingdom is going to be eternal and he's going to be a king who's eternal. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. This is why this is so important, so powerful, is because as we look at God's word from Genesis to Revelation, we see the fingerprint of God in so many different places. And for them, that time, David the throne, the, the kingdom, uh, God's people, Israel. I mean, it was the glory day. Let me ask you a question. What's your glory day? Everybody has one. What's your glory day, you know? Did you peak in middle school or high school athletically and like it's all been downhill ever since then, so you just kind of look back to those days, you know? Was it college? Uh, was it some sort of error time, you know, of time for you? Like you look at, oh man, if only we could go back to the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, you know, the 90s are like 2020. Nobody wants to go back there. But, you know, um, just, you know, we got this place or this time where we, in our mind, kind of go back nostalgically and we look at what's going on there and we think about what is going on there as well. I don't know what that may be for you. But this I know to be true, two things. One is everybody has a vision of the glory days. Everybody has a time. Everybody has a place. I mean, maybe for you it's a time when you were physically or mentally more capable than you are right now or something along that line, a certain time in which you were a child or a certain time in which your children were children, which I'm not sure who really wants to go back to that, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and, and we just kind of glory towards that, and we look at that, and we think about that. Everybody has it. Everybody has it. It's just the only difference is, is whatever time, whatever place, whatever visions, whatever nostalgia is different for each one of us. But here's the second thing I know to be true without a doubt. Um, if we're not careful, we can end up living in the minimum glory of yesterday rather than having a full view of the maximized glory that God is preparing for all those who trust and follow him. And as we think about that, as we recognize that, we, we want to see what God is trying to do for us in his perfection, in his precision, what he's planning for us. And we can see it even being planned thousands of years ago before we were even on the scene. But when God already knew us by name, he already knew that at some point in time he would knit us together in our mother's womb. And he thought of us in that moment and in that time and started preparing for us something that we struggle to imagine now, but we're pressing into trying to imagine it more. Now, most of us, I would guess, in this room are not Jewish. So we have a really hard time comprehending and understanding that as David is the one in focus here, but Nathan's trying to get him to look well into the future of a greater glory day, 
um, to Jesus, it's hard for us to understand that comparing Jesus and David to a Jewish, a Jewish person in this time or in Jesus' time, it, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. I mean, here's the, here's the reality. David is a warrior king, a, a famous musician, a, a nation builder. Jesus comes on the scene, all right? And he is a carpenter from a podunk town um, who doesn't really even come on the scene to be recognized by a few until he's almost 30 years old, right? And so here's the thing. For them, for the Jewish people, their glory day was when David was king. All they can think about is getting back there, is living in that moment, is having David as king again and, and their kingdom established on this earth in the way that they experienced it when David was ruling for those few short years that he ruled. So for them to make that switch in their mind is like impossible. For them to take that leap is nearly impossible for them to take that leap. That's not the leap that we have to take, because for most of us, that doesn't make really any sense. There's no comparison there. But all of us have a leap that we need to take. Listen, whether you don't have a relationship with God and you're just exploring that idea in 2021, or maybe, you know, your relationship with God is just mechanical. You know, you showed up to a church some time ago and you made some sort of decision to give your life to Christ. And now, on occasion, you know, you show up because it's what you do. Um, and it may be that, you know, you have a very meaningful relationship with Christ, but you need to be reminded and you need to be encouraged of what he has done perfectly, precisely to plan a glorious future for you, to pull you out of what you think is glory to what he really shows you is amazing glory. And so they were struggling to make that leap, as many of us struggle to make that leap. I just want to consider a couple of things as we look at this text about the glory of God and the fact that he is perfect, he's precise, he's planning all the way back into Second Samuel, this glorious future, what can remind us of that? What can encourage us of that? Or maybe take that first leap as a result. Now, the first thing is, is really hard because a lot of people, I think even Christian people, struggle to believe God is perfect. Now, hear me out on this. It may be that we even believe God is perfect, but sometimes in the way that we act, the way that we respond, the way that we think and things that we do, we don't really reflect that we, that we believe that, even though we say we believe that, and we struggle with it, right? I mean, we look around the world and we think, you know, this problem with injustice, why isn't it fixed now? What, what is he doing about it now? And so on and so forth. And we struggle to see the fingerprint of God over the sco scope of thousands of years and how he's been working to bring us back to paradise ever since we chose to leave it. Um, but here's, here's the reality about it too, is typically the way this goes, we don't see God as perfect. We have a plan. We have an idea. If I would do this, I would do that so on and so forth, right? Don't we see where we're falling right into Satan's hands when we do that? That takes us right back to the garden, because what did Eve do? Well, if I were God, you know, if I have this fruit, then I can see and be like God and be a God to myself and make decisions for myself and so on and so forth. Listen, I'll say that that's at least a medium amount to a lot of amount of self-righteousness too, right? Whenever we start thinking like that, well, this is what I would do, this is how I would fix it. But let me just ask a simple question. How do you know what should be done in the first place? How do you know what's right? How do I know what's right? 
how do we know what's wrong? Why is it that we even know that there's something wrong to begin with? So this is one of the really complexing and difficult thoughts that we wrestle with in the idea of knowing God and coming to know God is that we're, scripturally speaking, it tells us we're creating the image and likeness of God. There's the thumbprint of God. It's not just in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and this prophecy from Nathan to David. It's also in my DNA. And there's something within me that tells me that something's not right, something's off, something's missing. And I may not have all the parts and pieces and know exactly what the keys are to fixing that. But I know that there's something missing. And then God comes along, and whether it's through his word, through creation, through a variety of things, through the proclamation of his word in church, through praising his name and singing or whatever it may be, and he starts to give me a picture of just how perfect he is, just how precise he is. And one of his perfections is seen just in his word alone. The fingerprint of God in in the simplest statements from passages like we see in 2 Samuel. But there's so much more, right? Uh, Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is flawless. It's perfect. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. I mean, we could go on and on all day long about a variety of verses that declare this truth that God is perfect. I mean, Job himself was another person like David. That is, they're a type of Christ. You see, before Christ ever came, God was saying, I want you to see my fingerprint on everything. And so you have these people like Moses and like David and even Job, where their lives, if you were to take their lives and lay them like a transparency over the life of Jesus, you see these uncanny similaristics. Things that aren't just happenstance, but they were designed. They were perfectly planned out. Job is one of those where he doesn't suffer because of his unrighteousness. In fact, he, he suffers because he's righteous, because he trusts and he believes in God. And, and look at what he says in reflection of what he's going through as he's suffering. He says, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? He also says in uh, chapter 5, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, sometimes I get caught up in a self-righteous thought like, this is how I would do it. I should have done it this way. And that's me contending with the perfection of God. But the reality of it is if when I put God's track record next to mine, he's going to win every time. And you may say, well, that's not fair because he like, has all of history for his track record and he's got more time there. That alone should tell me something, right? Um, that he is the creator of all things and in his wisdom he is perfect in that regard. And And, and His perfection is seen in a variety of things. I'm just trying to tell you that one of them today is seen even in the simple statement of 2 Samuel. But it's not just one statement. It's from Genesis to Revelation. You see this constant, amazing work of God preparing us for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ who's going to declare that there's going to be a kingdom that he's going to rule over as king. This is just one of the verses that brings it out thousands of years before it ever takes place. But it's not just perfect. He's precise. Listen, I'm being honest with you. Sometimes I can't organize myself out of a wet paper bag. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Maybe you feel the same way. We call those Mondays. But anyway... I'm not always very precise. I see a lot of things. I see a lot of little details here and there. That's how I work. But as far as being precise in in what I do sometimes, I'm more of like the big picture guy and so on and so forth. God, he's got like, it's like 
every little thought, every little detail, every little thing is planned out. His precision is phenomenal. Let me put it to you this way. There's been some mathematical statistics done on the prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled. That is, there's some who estimate as many as almost up to 400 prophetic things that were said of Jesus that actually were accomplished. Uh, Some bring those in in a much lower conservative number. One person says that there's 60 core prophetic things about Jesus. That is, things that Jesus couldn't control, where he was born, how he died, things of this nature, uh, that actually took place. I don't get math very well at all, okay? But this is what I know, that uh, uh, the American uh, Scientific Affiliation did this mathematical analysis to say that based on those 60 prophetic things that happened in Jesus' life that he had no control over, the chances of them happening is 1 to 10 in the 17th power. I, I don't even know how many. That's 17 zeros, a lot of commas. I don't go that high. I go past 10, and I'm doing all right. Let me put it to you this way. They said, imagine taking that many, 10 to the 17th power, silver dollars, throwing them into the state of Texas. They'll fill the state two feet deep. Take one of them, mark it, throw it down, mix the entire state up. Have somebody now walk through the state, stop wherever they want to stop, reach down, and the very first coin that they pick up is the one that was marked. So that is the statistical chance that Jesus would have fulfilled all of the prophetic things that were said about him before he ever came to this earth. God is precise. He is extremely precise because his love for us, his care for us, is right on point. Uh, let, me, let me put it to you this way, too. Matthew really gives us a picture of Jesus and his kingdom, and he starts out with a genealogy of Jesus because he wants to connect him to David and this prophetic word that's spoken thousands of years before in 2 Samuel, right? Well, look at, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to read all the names for you. All right? I'm not going to embarrass myself that way or put you through that pain. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and then verse 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Thus, as he concludes, he says, Thus were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. 14, 14, 14, three sets. And in fact, if you look at it closely, one of the sets, you have to read David in twice in order to get to the 14, which is such a Jewish thing to do. I don't get that. You don't get that. But what it, they would do that to bring about the idea that that one's greater. That one's more important. That one has a double portion. But it gets even more precise and unique than that. I know this is geeky stuff, but here's the thing. Listen, uh, in the Hebrew language, their, their way that they numbered things were written into their alpha, alphabet code. So like each character in the alphabet had a numeric value assigned to it. So you, when you learn to read or say your name, you learn to count as well. Okay, very smart, very unique. But here's the most amazing thing. David, you spell out his name. They didn't use vowels, so you'd spell it D-V-D. All right? D, the alphanumeric, is 4, V, 6, D, 4. 14. Let me tell you what, listen, a Jewish rabbi reading this or looking at 
his account of Jesus' life, even if he doesn't believe in Jesus, he's going to pause and laugh a little bit. He's going to say, that is amazing. That is clever. I see what you did there, Matthew. Amazing how that's put together. But it's not just simply art, you know, artfully put together by manipulating literature. It is the reality of life. It is the reality of God's plan, his precision to help get our minds and hearts back to how precise he is, how perfect he is in everything because of his care for us, because of his desire for us, for, because he wants to carry out a plan for each and every single one of us because he knew you when he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows your pain, he knows your struggle, he knows your future, and he knows the glory that he wants to bring every single one of us into this room into. And I guarantee it's far greater than the glory days of David. It's far greater than whatever glory days that you have in your mind from earlier in the message. You know, there is no randomness in this, but our world looks at things as though they are just random. We have words like fate, uh, lucky or unlucky circumstances, but when it comes to the history of God, it's not fate, it's not luck, it's not unluck, it's precision, it's perfection. Uh, Think about this. God doesn't ask you to make a blind leap. He never has asked us to make a blind leap. He just asks us to look closely. And in looking closely, we see his perfection. We see his precision. It can really start to move our hearts. The Spirit can work in our lives in in amazing ways as a result of that. Just think about this. Uh, billions of stars in the galaxy, and scientists have found out, the ones that they can study, that their heat temperatures fluctuate pretty dramatically. All right, our star, called the sun, it fluctuates one-tenth of one percent, making life on Earth bearable. Here's the other interesting thing I didn't know about, is that the sun is 400 times greater than the moon in size. The moon is 400 times closer to the Earth than the sun, so that they look almost identical in size when we look at them with our naked eye in the sky. I mean, you you go into the the human life and the complexity of that and just how precise God has been in bringing our lives uh, together and to the point that we understand and experience them as well. His precision is without any, any, you know, uh, match in this world. It's perfect in every way. And so if you take time to put these two ideas together, right? God's perfection, God's precision. Um, I think that you'll see that he's been putting together a plan for thousands of years, ever since Adam and Eve made a decision that caused them to be cast out of the garden. He's been already working to make a plan perfectly, precisely to bring you back into the garden, into his presence into a kingdom that's eternal, with a king that doesn't change every so often, but is perfect in every way that he rules, that he's the king of our heart, just as we sang this morning as well. And every detail of those preparations are carefully recorded in stories like David's carefully recorded for us and literature that was painstakingly thought out uh, through a culture whose language and mathematics and more were exceptional for the task. And so given thousands of years, which God, to him it's like a day, for him to prepare for us an eternal kingdom. Imagine what it's going to be like. Now I understand why Paul says things like, you know, I, I pray that you can imagine the unmeasurable, 
unenvisionable, so to speak, things that God is preparing and doing for our lives. This is kind of the way I wanted to sum it up for you this morning. God is perfectly and precisely preparing a place for you in the kingdom of God with Jesus as a king. The question is whether or not you're looking deep enough to see how perfect he is, how precise he is. Because he would desire for you to be there with him. He would desire for you to live a life right now that reflects that in such a way that you share his son Christ with, the, with, with your world. Because when we look at his scripture, he started sharing his son Christ with us all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And all the way through Revelation in the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just how amazingly knit together it is from beginning to end and all the uh, various things that sometimes, unfortunately, Lord, we just miss. Or maybe in time, we just our hearts need to be conditioned a little bit more to, to see something the way that you want us to see it, which will help us to understand just how perfect you are, how precise you are, and how much of a plan you have for us, Lord. And we just ask that you would move us in our heart to trust and follow you in every way. And Lord, as we look at your word today and as we think about this, at least give us the motivation, the vision to spend some time consistently with you in your word, knowing that you're going to reveal to us some amazing uh, things that aren't necessarily mysteries. Uh, They're just the reality of what you've been doing and what you are doing. It's just that maybe we haven't slowed down enough to see them. Father, help us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.